0: Welcome to the Good Vibes Podcast with Clark Impostato and Ryan G.
1: Here we go. Here we go. Just just the camera. All right. (laughs) Well, top of the morning to you.
0: Top of the morning to you my friend. How are you? Good to see
1: you. Yeah. yeah, good to see you man. I'm uh you know, I'm good. It's uh going to be a little bit of a somber topic, but I'm kind of excited to talk about it. And It's always fun to I always look forward to recording our episodes. I got my new little little earmuffs in. So I'm yeah, trying man. them out. It's yeah. super clear. It's kind of weird to hear myself this clear, but
0: You're not wearing the cans where you look like the dude from Empire State back who was always next to Lando Christian.
1: Oh, that's Christian true. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> Lando Chris, Calrissian, Cal- yeah.
0: Calrissian, thank you.
1: <laughs> Lando the Christian. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I look like some type of seventies DJ or something with those. And this next now, one is for TJ. <laughs> w K R P Cincinnati. Remember gotcha. that
0: show? Well, do you remember the, there used to be that love line on radio at all the time in the 80s? Do you remember his theme song was the do-do-do, do-do-do, do do No, no, I don't no, remember that. Oh, my gosh. He was like on every radio station at
1: night, just in uh, and, and lonely women would call in. You remember the ladies' man on Saturday Night Live, the call show? We they would say some that. nasty.
0: Yeah. Man, that's
1: just disgusting. That's, <laughs> uh, you know, the
0: answer really is the but. <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah that's great um well what do you call it? vibe tribe we did it again we did it again we said we, <laughs> we'd pick a winner this is a bad joke clark and i just decided that we're just going to make this simple we're just going to have the giant email episode yeah. and we're going to pick a winner uh keep the emails coming guys you guys have a lot of great emails uh Ranger Mac. we've seen everything talking about uh, from Putin to the mm-hmm. teams to et cetera, et cetera. So keep that up. Probably going to yep. have it uh, maybe sometime this month or pretty in soon. Yeah. yeah, pretty hit soon. Hit us up,
1: the vibe tribe at protonmail.com. Definitely yeah. send us some emails with some questions, current events, clarifications, or maybe we'll just confuse you a little bit more, whatever. No, you know, it's hit, all good. Hit
0: us up. It's all good. Um, This week, guys, we're actually going to be talking about something near and dear to Clark's heart. Uh, Unfortunately, it does not get a lot of coverage uh, in the stateside. It's one of those things that just, it's kind of glazed over, buried about, but there was an anniversary that occurred this week. Uh, We're talking about uh, Gaza the Gaza Strip and an attack that took place. And it it should be talked about. It should get more coverage. But we all know how that goes, right? So uh, the irony, Clark, though, I thought would be an ironic way to start off is there was actually a lot of coverage this week um, about Gaza and the Gaza Strip uh, because Mm. there was thousands and thousands of Palestinians actually rallied uh, Thursday because it was the 35th anniversary of establishing the Palestinian Islamic Jihad movement. So oh. let, let's cover Whoa. that and talk about Whoa. that. Happy right? anniversary,
1: but, boys. Yeah.
0: <laughs> let's, hey, let's the media cover the anniversary of the terrorist group. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> but,
1: guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, before I do that, I don't want to forget my boy Belushi. Shout out to him, real quick. Nice. And uh, there was a request to say what up to his buddy Eric, who's a former 10th Mountain Division dude. So thank you for your service, Eric. 10th yes, Mountain's legendary. They are. And Belushi is legendary. My man out there. I think he's on the East Coast. I don't know. He bounces. He was in Austin when we hooked up my man Belushi. I think he's back in well, New England, maybe.
0: Question with a nickname like that. Is he more John or James?
1: Oh, he's John for sure. <laughs> I, I oh, yeah. It. Then oh, I know what type of legit, dude this
0: guy is. This is good.
1: The le- legit <laughs> Belushi. We had some good drinking sessions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was. One of my party buddies when I was out there in Austin, so he's they he's legit. Bar, <laughs> he earned that nickname oh, the right yeah. way for sure. Oh,
0: they're few and far. <laughs> the, the Belushi nickname is that is quite the honor to be honest.
1: Well, I you. say it's rare for a nickname is usually something bad, like you know your name is fucking dipshit or whatever. But to earn Belushi. You, he did he did good. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> so he's more of the Bluto versus the blues brother.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I yep. Love it. <laughs> he even has a picture of him, if I'm not mistaken, at a party with like the solo cups and he has a shirt that says college on it. <laughs> This <laughs> straight belushi stuff, like good for you
0: oh, man man good on him i love that we we, we all need a Balushi in our life we all need a friend yes like that, right? i so, finally
1: got a Balushi in my life and i belushi love him he's adorable <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh god well all right i guess we should just dive into it so you know i talked to ryan i think probably a couple weeks ago and said hey you know the anniversary of the gaza attacks coming up october 15th and I know we record the next day, which is good because I wouldn't want to, I was pretty blue all day yesterday. And, you know, it still kind of amazes me, you know, how that scar tissue is still there and the anniversary and I used to get hammered on it and stuff. And I just thought, well, you and I have this platform we've created and, you know, other groups of people have had their stories told, whether I agree with the official narrative or not, but, you know, the. Lone Survivor dude has his story and and the Benghazi guys and Extortion 17. There's been books written on that. And, um, you know, Rob gets to tell his story about the whole bin Laden thing. And and that's great. You know, I support all those guys doing what they do. I think uh, some of these stories need to be told. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I was a part of this incident that happened in 2003 that it just, it didn't even move the needle. I mean, it was just sad that there are people serving their country that die in the line of duty and it's just kind of swept under the rug because it's an embarrassment to the government or yeah, for whatever reason, some things make the news and some things don't. And so I just thought, you know, this isn't, I want to be careful how I tell the story because it's not a story about me. I want it to be about the three guys that were killed in action I even had to fight, I think it was with the Navy SEAL Foundation, but I finally had Jeff Gonzalez and some other guys um, because they used to do a montage. First, it was every SEAL active duty killed after 9-11. And then it was, oh, well, you know, there's some contractors that have lost their lives. And then now they've even added the suicides, which is absolutely battle-related. You know oh, what I mean? 100%. And so yeah. they've, they've really kind of expanded their montage to incorporate, you know, all the guys that have, really lost their lives in line of service. But my boy cheese was always missing from that. And I'm like, how did they not fucking know? In fact, um, they used to read uh, Yanni would do the, the roll call at the Danny Dietz Memorial in Houston. And the first year I went there, I didn't hear cheese's name. And so I, I went to him when he got off the stage and he said, holy shit, really? He goes, I'll look into that. And uh, he was instrumental in, in getting that added to that list. And <clears throat> excuse me. So it was just, it kind of baffled me how we have a team member and there's two other guys, you know, I always refer to it as cheese and the boys and I don't want to disrespect them or forget them. There was Mark Parsons and John Lynn that died. And then we had one survivor. We had our own lone survivor. This was a legit lone survivor though. So (laughs) Oscar and I'll get into how I reconnected with Oscar down the road in Iraq. So I don't want to get ahead of my skis here, but I just wanted to set it up for everybody and, I appreciate you giving me the time for this, Ryan, and our, our listeners out there. Um, you know, it's just something I want to talk about, something that's near and dear to the heart. Yeah. And it's really to, to get their names on the record and, and to the best of my ability to make sure that they're never forgotten. And, uh, and it was a very hard time for all of us, and it, it still is. There's a very small group of us um, in the U.S. that actually got to conduct operations inside Gaza, and so it's a very exclusive club. Uh, we call it G-Town or G-Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's just kind of our little, there's always a circle within a circle. And so, you know, those of us that were during that time period in that area have a special bond. And so this time of year, we always get together and, and chat about it. You
0: know what? Before you start, I just want to say that, um, one, good on you. And and I'm personally, as your friend, very impressed Um, because again, knowing you long enough, I, I do know this week time period or weekend, uh, I get the infamous, uh, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde call, right? The drunk dial, uh, The yeah. drunk dial. And he, <laughs> listen, I love them, and I will always be there for them, but showing the the improvement and growth that has occurred over the past year is, is inspiring. I know you've inspired me in different ways, but hopefully it inspires other people in the tribe that are maybe running to the bottle or running the substance. I mean, fuck, man, you're a living an example right now, and this is a very difficult time for you, and- Hopefully this will be even more therapeutic than the whiskey, you know. It, for- yeah.
1: Well, it is because in the past, especially in this anniversary, I would just escape it by getting hammered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, it's very different this year. I'm sure people can tell by my voice. I'm you know, kind of bummed out a little bit, but it's you're dealing with a real emotion and you're sifting through it. You're fighting your demons, you're you're not just running from them. And so yeah. it is somber. And it is, you know, you feel a little bit blue throughout the day or you're leading up to it. I'm like, fuck! It's already October fifteenth, and my buddy Dave back in Arizona goes through the same thing, probably worse, with the October third, the Black Hawk Down shit. Yeah. When I was in Arizona, we would kind of support each other during, like, what's up with October, man? It's your your worst fucking event, my worst fucking event, or something. Creepy, but we would kind of support each other through it, but not necessarily healthily. We'd usually just get together and get fucked up. But <laughs> this year, it does feel good. Um, thank you for pointing that out. It, it, it is a different experience. It's real. Yeah. It's emotion. Real. It's yeah. tangible. It's not just getting fucked up and getting obliterated. And then you wake up a couple of days later, hung over like, Whew, I'm glad that's done. You know, it's just you're not dealing with it. I've excuse me. I've ran from it for 19 years and it's still scar tissue that's there but i think this year and in following years by doing it the right way by talking about it sharing their story with the world or whoever's willing to listen uh, it helps you heal you Absolutely. know and it, it just i it, i i think more people should do that i would encourage more people to especially on the on the anniversaries of just stay straight and deal with it, man. And, and talk to your family about it. Talk to your friends about it. If you happen to have a platform like this, or even your social media account, like I did, I just threw up a little picture and, you know, it's my way of yeah. as long as I'm alive, a part of them is alive. And so that's why, I, like I said, I'm I'm grateful for this opportunity to share the, the story with you and with our listeners. So thank yep, you better. for that. You yeah. know, it's, it's a part of the healing process. So. Amen.
0: Well, let's, let's, uh, where do you take it? Where do you, where do you start with this this story? I mean, um I've heard I'm actually really excited and fascinated cuz I've heard bits and pieces. Um so this, you know, I I'm curious where you're going to start with this.
1: Yeah, I've never really laid it out. You know, I've talked about different parts, you know, Israel was a big part of my experience, probably the pinnacle in my opinion. You know, it was uh a- as everyone knows, I guess I'll start out at Fort Bragg. I, I was knocking on doors out there trying to get into the Q course. And there was some drama between my unit and the leadership at Fort Bragg. So in my frustration, I reached out to some SEAL buddies and they turned me on to a company called DynCore. And uh, I got in touch with the recruiter. We made a deal with uh, 19th Group. They would put me in active reserve. My unit was very cool. Um, by no means was it them roadblocking uh, my success out at Fort Bragg and so they were like hey dude if, if you want to do this other thing we support it 100 percent. we hate to lose you but you know you're a guy that wants to work overseas man I mean end of the day I'm not a garrison soldier I want to be deployed mm. and at that point I had done two deployments with the Navy I mean we've talked about my exodus from the teams I was hoping to find a second home with the Green Berets at Bragg and I took some advice from my SF buddies and uh Just I wasn't clicking with the command staff out at Bragg. So I had this opportunity. I was whisked away to Virginia for a selection process. And uh, and it was amazing. Um, You know, I've gotten into detail about that process in other episodes. I'll kind of fast forward, but it was all very new, very fast paced, all new faces. And uh, and I was glad that I made it to the end of that selection process. I thought I was going to Afghanistan to be on Cars Ice Protection Detail. Turns out that class was going to Israel. <laughs> so mm. it was like, like literally, I mean, to the best of my memory, mind you, this is you know almost 20 years ago. It was towards the end of the selection. So I was kind of had to notify friends and family of where I'd be going. And it was a 12-month commitment. So by far, that would be my longest trip overseas. Prior to that, I did two six-month deployments. So I was like, shit, this is okay. This yeah. is how things are. And, and it was already... A clue as to how fluid the contract world is. Here, I thought I was spinning up for Afghanistan. Now we're going to Israel and away we go. We land in Israel and it was very surreal. Um, you know, all of us have heard about Israel growing up in America and the struggle between the Palestinians and the history of you know, what happened in World War Two to the Jews and, and the reestablishment of the Israeli state after World War Two.
0: But also, so, too, you're about to go contract in a country that is surrounded all by enemies
1: and no U.S. military support. And no,
0: exactly. Yeah. So
1: that was weird for me. Anywhere I had been in the Navy, obviously, you have a ton of support. And even later contracting in Afghanistan and Iraq, we always had big army, you know, which was our, kind of our nickname for the U.S. military. And that is uh, some comfort to that in Israel. We were by ourselves and it was the first time that um, the American government had a presence that big in that area. And so the Israelis are very suspicious of us. Like, you know, obviously they all everyone there thought we were CIA Mm-hmm. Except for the Palestinians, probably thought we were Israeli special forces. I mean, you got white dude armored vehicles. Who else is it going to be? Except we were bigger, hairier, more tattooed, and so <laughs> it was very weird. The assumption was we were CIA, and, and we weren't. You know, we we got our paychecks from diplomatic security services, and it was I had to figure all this out because it was like a Scooby Doo mystery. We fly into Tel Aviv in the middle of the night. We load up in these vans. Excuse me. We load up in these vans and we drive from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And I'm sitting up front with this dude who looks pretty crusty. And I'm like, all right, just shut your mouth. You know, Don't say anything stupid. And I think I asked him maybe one question. It's probably an hour and a half, two hour drive, something like that. And uh, we go to this hotel. We get broken up into roommate pairs, dumped off in our apartments, which I've talked about. And the next day we meet at the consulate. And that's our first in-country brief. This is the situation. This is why you're here. Again, still very mysterious, trying to take on board all this information. We get issued our body armor, which is better than anything I've been issued in the Navy. It was a paraclete body armor. Really? Well, come to find out, all of our leadership were ex-Delta guys. And so they have great connections for this and that. And so, Ah. yeah, we had an integrated. Better budget. Super better budget and whatever budget we're under was pretty dope, too. So we got this these big ass paraclete fucking integrated, you know, soft armor plates and we got issued our M4s. And then we got broken up into teams right there in the courtyard, laid out our gear. And they said, all right, you guys are Alpha Team Bravo Team, you know, so forth and so on. And uh, they decided that our group said tomorrow we're going to Gaza. And I was like, what the fuck? I mean, that's day one. You get issued your shit. Day two, we're going to Gaza. And I remember raising my hand saying, hey, do we, we have any range time? Like, you know, I'd like to make sure my weapon goes bang. And he goes, no, yeah. we haven't set that up yet. We don't have any ranges. When oh we were gosh. brand new, the leadership had been in country for a little bit, but we were the first sled dogs to roll in. The first worker bees. So he said, dude, break them down. Make sure all the parts are in them, clean them, make sure there's a fire pin if that's what you're worried about. I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty important part of the weapon. But yeah, so that's what we did. We squared away our gear and day two, we called it the bunny cage. We were inside the bunny cage and it was a very creepy experience. For those that don't know, I think most people are somewhat familiar with Gaza. Gaza is a very small strip of land. I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's not big. I want to say it's maybe like 12 miles long, maybe a couple miles wide. Like, it's just a sliver on planet Earth. And it is one of the more densely populated, uh, you know, per square foot, per capita. It's just like downtown Manhattan. It's just packed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come to find out that the Israelis somewhat use it as a penal colony. So if you fuck up in the West Bank, they deport your ass to Gaza.
0: Really? No
1: so shit. it's. So it's like, and I'm guessing at numbers here, but it's like 90% unemployment. Obviously Hamas is in there recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, is it is political shit. There's terrorist shit. It's, and it's just, we call it the bunny cage. Cause it's just surrounded by, I mean, it looks kind of like uh, maybe what Berlin would look like after the war, just barbed wire fences and guards. And so sure. we would go through a checkpoint called the arrest checkpoint. And so that was the Israeli checkpoint. And we would go through and, you know, whatever coordinate with their IDF representatives, our leadership would. We just wait in our vehicles and then we get permission to go in. And it was, I'm guessing, about 100 yards of no man land, which was just creepy. So you would just kind of drive down this dirt road until you get to the Palestinian checkpoint. And that was kind of like a rickety guard shack with a couple of dudes in little green uniforms. And then you would be actually officially in Gaza. So point. almost
0: like the DMZ. Right.
1: And it is no man's land. Yeah. Just like wow. the DMZ. That's their buffer between no each other. And that was always the creepiest part for me. It was mm-hmm. that no man's land. For some reason, it was just eerie and uh not the being in Gaza was much better. But at least, you knew, OK, we're in Gaza. So for me, I mean, this ain't seal team five in Thailand. It was fucking creepy. Like, here we are locked and loaded driving around fucking gaza doing god knows what we're still not fully read into the program it's just kind of uh in the teams we used to call them shakeout patrols you know you go out and you kind of test your gear and anything needs to be modified or you know whatever usually just don't jump in the mix and so this was our version of a shakeout patrol so we're fully loaded up in our vehicles cruising around gaza getting familiar kind of a fam run you know we had our gps's out we were marking different locations trying to run the roads, figure things out. And it was very weird. I saw my first donkey cart. You know, this fucking kid looked like he was 10 years old on the donkey cart, whipping the donkey. And it was hooked up with these bars to the little flatbed cart. He was on just like some Flintstone shit. I'm like, there's, they still live like this. What the fuck? It's so weird. Yeah. So for me, it was, I really consider it. Even though I had two Navy deployments, my first like real world, deployment like this is you know even in the fleet at least we were in the Persian Gulf we went through the Straits of Hormuz I've talked about some of the activities during that 96 deployment but this was in my opinion danger close so that continued on and on and on we finally get to October so we had been there October 15th when the attack happened was my sixth week in country so that shows you we showed up in what august september i think our selection process is in august so we were probably there late august or early september so we're still doing our fam runs a couple missions out to the west bank but mostly we're just focused on gaza and the what we were told the primary mission was is we're trying to broker a peace deal diplomatically between the israelis and the palestinians oh, that's yeah. what we were told and so this guy's <laughs> got to meet this guy and Um, I'll get more into what I believe it really was. And, you know, I won't get too deep with that. But (laughs) anyway, let's just say when there's an embassy or consulate, there's more than just State Department involved. Use your imagination. Yeah. Come on. But what it felt like, because people would ask me when I was there, like, dude, what is it like? And I said, well, it's kind of like being a security guard in the middle of a bar brawl like we're kind of just in the way you have these two people, groups of people that want to fuck each other up. And we're in there with our little security shirts and whistles going, Hey, step back. And we're just, they don't give a fuck.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I will say before I get into the details, um, the Palestinians overall were much more hospitable, more courteous to us. The Israelis are very suspicious of us, uh, very rude to us at the checkpoints and stuff. So it was weird because the media here will have you believe that Israelis are our little brother. And yes, they're happy to take billions of dollars a year from us. And yes, they're happy to have our F-16s and tanks and M4s and all that. But on the ground, their IDF, their military was very rude to us at checkpoints. And even uh, when we were in, we always called it Indian country or sometimes are called red zones, dangerous areas, Gaza, Hebron, wherever. Um, the IDF would deploy on us, you know, I mean, with with tanks and we were there with airstrikes and stuff. But as time went on, we did break bread with them and we got some range assets and then we started getting like their sniper coverage for us as we would go in and do things. And so I think at first they were just like, who the fuck are these guys? They got to be CIA. I'm sure was their initial assumption. And, and we could hear that in their conversation. That was their assumption. And they were very suspicious of us.
0: Oh, when you're so surrounded these, by enemies constantly, it's you know you're. Well, and this new thing shows culture.
1: up. This, yeah, this new right. entity shows up. Right.
0: Plus, if people have never met Israelis, um, I think first impression, like you said, it, it they think it's rude, but it's actually they come off very strong and assertive, uh, where it could mm-hmm. almost be
1: abrasive. And there's,
0: it's not they're not being rude. What it no, is, is
1: it's just a cultural thing. It, it's
0: a culture. It's but like,
1: look at their history. I if mean, that's they got, it, that's they the got point, slaughtered right? during World War Two. Now they're surrounded by enemy nation states. They have this internal conflict with the Palestinians. And so, right. yes, I, I understand for sure. I mean, right. it's kind of like a kid who grew up abused. He's going to be a little sketchy as an adult until they know like, OK, these dudes are. These are it cool. did smooth out. Yeah, it did smooth out. Yeah,
0: That makes sense then.
1: Yeah. And I get it. You know, who the fuck are these people? So it was very weird. It was there was a lot of growing pains. A lot of us. This was a new world to us, at least us younger operators that were in country. We we're all about the same age. You know, I'd probably say late 20s to mid 30s, the bulk of us. And then our leadership was more experienced, 40s and 50s. And uh, and that's also to note real quickly, it was weird because we would work primarily in Gaza. But then uh, Israel proper was just as dangerous, if not more so, because we had buses blowing up, cafes blowing up. Yeah. 2003, 2004 was just a busy time. Now they threw up the wall around certain cities there, and it did cut down on the suicide attack. So late 0405, it did taper off, and we were in country more. We got used to the flow of things. But at first, it was crazy. I mean, the trash can outside our apartment blew up. We were wondering, is that for us? Is there someone else in this building? Buses blew up. Cafes blew up. Like I said, there was grenades being thrown in the marketplace. Sporadic gunfire would just erupt. I mean, it was... I almost preferred being in Gaza because at least we were kitted the fuck up. We had rifles, we're in armored vehicles and we're mobile. Mm-hmm. When you're cruising around downtown Jerusalem looking for a sandwich and something blows up, it scares the fucking shit out of you, dude. So we were on pins and needles, we were hyper-vigilant, we were in the red all the time, we were stressed out, we were working seven days a week. Yeah. So it was new. Like I said, the Saint Seal Team Five in fucking Thailand. So there was a lot of growth that was occurring. Now The book hadn't been written yet. We were just, like I said, getting GPS points, mapping out roads, figuring out where this building is, that building is, you know, President Abbas's compound in Gaza, things like that. So we were getting our feet wet. Well, someone came up with the decision of, well, we're going to get kind of a weekly schedule that will be, you know, printed out for you when you get to the consulate. And that way you kind of know. Of the moves? Well, just of the areas we're going to go into. And it was kept just in our, our ready room and stuff. And that way we could look at it and say, okay, Hey, we got a couple moves into the West bank, a couple moves into Gaza. Just, it was kind of for mental preparation. Cause like I said, it was a Scooby-Doo mystery. <laughs> we just like, what the fuck is going on here for most of us? It was just weird shit. We haven't done stuff like this before. So I think to kind of uh, calm our nerves a little bit, the, the leadership gave us at least the ability to forecast a little bit and figure out what team's going to do what, or if we need to split up that day. We can figure it out. So the layout eventually became, a few weeks into it, two teams up in Tel Aviv and three teams in Jerusalem. So that would be a team leader and about five guys. So we had about 25, 30 guys in country. That's a pretty big footprint. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we all had the armored Suburbans, the level four, level five Suburbans, whatever, and and some other, other things. Um, so now we get closer to mid-October. We've been getting these weekly schedules, excuse me, and we get the schedule for that week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're going into Gaza through the arrest checkpoint at 9 a.m. Now, there's another checkpoint, but you have to go way the fuck out of your way to get to it. And I think there's only a third checkpoint that maybe connects to like Egyptian territory, which we ain't going to go into. So really, there's two options. But one of them adds hours to the day, and it's even sketchier because you're in Gaza more to get to it than Arez is kind of right by Gaza City, Gaza. The main part of it, it's closer than that of the checkpoint. So we really only have two options. The name of the game with any tactical operations, but specifically diplomatic motorcades, is to be unpredictable. Don't use the same routes. Don't use the same time. Um, Anytime you establish a pattern, you really set yourself up for an ambush. So that was our first concern. We got this weekly schedule and we immediately complained to our leadership. Like, you got to be fucking kidding me. You know, um, prior to that, I forgot to mention we had been, we received a lot of small arms fire going into Gaza. So this is like week three, week four, week five. And we make all these reports, you know, Um, obviously we're communicating through radio traffic, these different contacts, but then we, our leadership will submit an official report to the RSO, which is a regional security officer. So, um, increased military activity. We still don't have a point of contact with the IDF, so they're not telling us, hey, we're going to roll through this area with fucking tanks and crush people, and we're driving around, and these tanks are swinging around on us. We're taking small arms fire from God knows who. Is it the Israelis? Is <laughs> it the Palestinians? Um, at that time, we call them Favs, fully armored vehicles. Our Favs didn't have a way to return fire unless you open the door, thus compromising oh, no the integrity yeah. of the armor. So we would just get off the X. We would just say push, 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 we get the fuck out of there. Later on, we developed a hatch system where we could pull the roof back and pop out of the roof and bust some caps if we had to. And then only the shooter was exposed, not the people inside. But at that time we had no way really safely to return fire. So we would get lit up and we just get the fuck out of there. Um so it was getting more and more heated more and more Israeli activity in that area. And we were getting lit up by small arms fire, but that wasn't our primary concern. We know in that part of the world, everything fucking blows up. We've already had shit blowing up in Israel proper. The IDF is obviously active for a reason. So our concern to our leadership was, you know, we're going to get fucking hit by a roadside or something. You know, they have uh, shit in those roads that will disable or destroy an Israeli tank. What's our fucking Chevy Suburban going to do? It's going to be ripped apart like a fucking tin can. So these were all, Escalating concerns, escalating stress. So when we got this um, schedule for the week where the 15th was on a Wednesday, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they're like, the show must go on. That's what you guys are here for. Any of you are free to leave at any point in time, but you're buying your own ticket. It's not the military. We can't keep you here. So there were a few guys that left. Most of us stayed Uh, Tuesday. We roll in at nine and wait, quick question
0: they yep. left it because they the spidey they sense with
1: the schedule yeah, yeah. well yeah. not just the schedule before that the uh you know the small arms fire the okay they got spooked. the activity okay. of the yeah they got spooked mm-hmm. or they just said fuck this 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 ain't worth it it's getting too dangerous or you right. know some guys had families or they're just like yeah. fuck this shit some of them had done a bunch of deployments before and they're just like this, whatever. They thought it would be no, more of a
0: um, hookers with dragon tattoos leading to their hoo-ha. No, yeah, no, so, we, we did discover
1: bro. later on a Russian strip club though, but that's hey, a now. story that 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 ended up uh down the road. So yeah, it's it's it was getting crazy. Um, but I actually was enjoying myself. I consider this to be like my first real world experience. Like there's dude shooting at us. There's shit blowing up like this is pretty fucking legit shit, man. I mean, most of us in that generation that I was in saw way more action as a contractor than we did active duty. So some of us are pretty stoked, like, hey, this is what we've been looking for. And, and so we were putting in some work and uh, but the schedule upset us. So we voiced our concerns. Our leadership did talk to the RSO, the regional security officer, who is the head State Department representative. Related to security operations. He has the ambassador's ear. Hmm. He said, I don't give a fuck. The show must go on. So Tuesday, we roll in per the schedule. And it was weird. Three things happened that day that were very concerning. And this is they train you any tactical thing. Don't be predictable. Be observant, all this shit. So one, we're already violating. We're predictable as fuck. Three days in a row. Same place, same time. Hmm. Tuesday, when we came in. We clear a res checkpoint. We go through no man's land. And then as we clear the Palestinian checkpoint, there's a little guard shack and the little potbelly dudes with their fucking AKs. I look out of the left rear of the We're in the follow car and the dude leans over. He looks at our license plate. He looks at his watch and he writes something down. And I immediately tell my team leader, dude, we just got tagged. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, that motherfucker just looked at his watch and wrote something down. And I think he just wrote down our license plate. And probably the time that's fucked up because, all right, we'll we'll make a report with the RSO. So I'm like, yeah, Roger that. So I'm back to my job looking around and uh, we get into Gaza City, Gaza, and it's fucking a ghost town. Like I said, it, imagine Times Square and fucking Manhattan. Right. Just being empty. Something's fucking wrong. It's yeah. not normal. So they tell you to compare patterns of life. If Gaza is normally busy and it's suddenly fucking quiet. That's not a good thing. So that's right. really a third flag. One was the, the predicted schedule. And then two, this dude, tag. tagging us on the right. way in. Now Gaza City is fucking quiet. So, again, we're telling our T.O. We need to tell the R.S.O. this shit. We ain't coming back tomorrow. This is fucked up. In fact, let's get the fuck out of here. So he agreed. We fucking we bounce on the way out. Um, there's a dirt road. Uh, there was dudes digging in the road. No. And we said, hey, those dudes ain't construction workers, man, they're no. that's fucked up, man. So you have guys, just normal dudes digging in the fucking road. It ain't road repair. So that's no. another flag. That was our third flag of the day, but our fourth red flag overall. So we're all like we ain't coming back tomorrow. This is bullshit. So we get back to the consulate in Jerusalem and, you know, our leadership talks to the RSO and they come back to us just with that look of disbelief on their face and they're like yeah we're we're going tomorrow he doesn't give a fuck the show must go on and that was just like what the fuck this is stupid
0: coming from the guy who is not in the vehicle or going
1: well of course and that's right. the dynamic that you often see in these scenarios um and it's a big problem in the military too you know you have these college boys that get a commission they have zero fucking experience and they're a platoon commander at a seal team meanwhile your fucking chief and your LPO have a combined you know, 20, 30, 40 years combined experience. Right. And you got some college dude in charge. It's just it's a fucked up system. Now, luckily for us, it it wasn't that way. Our our leadership as contractors. They're all 20 plus year CAG dudes, Delta guys. So they're savvy as fuck. The problem is who's above us in the State Department? This RSO fruitcake. (laughs) Again, some college boy. Yep.
0: Some Ivy League, you know.
1: Well, and he doesn't want to tell the ambassador, hey, uh, we're going to cancel the schedule this week. He wants to save face probably with the ambassador. Sure.
0: Because he's worried about his promotion.
1: Yeah. Well, I wonder how I wonder how that went after the attack.
0: Oh, he probably became a senator.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's probably in Congress right now. Right.
0: Exactly.
1: Jesus. So, you know. That's the scenario we were going into Wednesday. None of us were happy about it. And we all kind of contemplated, is this shit worth it? You know, fuck. I mean, yeah, they pay us well, but what good is it to be the richest guy in the cemetery? So right, right. we come in to work that Wednesday morning and uh, my team leader comes out and goes, hey, we're actually going to trade missions with Tel Aviv. There's two missions today. I think one was at nine and one was at like 11 or whatever. Um, the Marines at the front gate to the consulate they want to take pictures of us all so that they can authenticate us quicker coming in because we were all still pretty new and there was a bunch of us and and whatever and some people had left and some new people had showed up and so whatever Um, so we're like okay yeah cool whatever so you know we kind of prepare our gear and and we take our pictures with the marines and we're we're actually kitting up for the second mission and uh, my team leader gets a phone call and we got canceled all the time because of military operations or whatever. It wasn't that odd that, hey, today's a no go, whatever. So it's a very fluid situation, very confusing and dynamic at times. And so it wasn't strange to, to get canceled. So I remember when he got off the phone, I said, what well, do we get kanked again? He said, no, we've been hit like there's dying people dead. And I just said, what do you mean? So he said, well, we just don't. it's the Tel Aviv team. It's either Alpha or Bravo. We don't know what. Well, I had befriended the team leader, one of the team leaders up uh, in in Tel Aviv, John Branchizio. We call him Cheese. He was uh, a team guy. At that time, we were the only two team guys in country. And so we became friends. Hmm. And uh so I said, well, hold on, let me try to call Cheese. And he's like, he's not gonna fucking answer. And I'm like, he might, even in the middle of a gunfight, Cheese might say, dude, I gotta go. I'm busy clicking. Oh, he's he's kind of a wild dude. He was uh, I think he was a team four guy, but he was a dev group guy. Mm. And so he's a pretty what you would expect from a dev group guy, pretty, pretty fucking wild, supercharged frogman. And uh, and I called Jesus phone and I went straight to voicemail and I just knew it. in My heart, I just at that stomach. moment, yeah. I literally felt my soul tear a little bit. I just knew it in my heart of hearts. And I left a very teary eyed voicemail saying, hey, big cheese, I know what's happened and I love you. And I just said, a frogman never forgets. And I hung up. I went back into the ready room and I told my team leader, I said it was Alpha Team. And he goes, you don't fucking know that. You don't fucking know that, man. Don't say shit. And so I told him, dude, are we going to, are we going to fucking let's go? go. Yeah. Like, let's fucking load up. Um, but almost as soon as I said that, obviously the word was spreading through the consulate. Some state department dude came in and said, Hey, we're in lockdown. No one's fucking leaving. They put up the Delta barriers. So no vehicles could leave the gates. Like we were stuck. And so we were just trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. Like, what do you mean dudes are dead? And then, uh, Reports were coming in that one guy had survived. And so we're getting little bits and pieces of this. Um, The other team from Tel Aviv was already outside the gates because the embassy was in lockdown as well. So they went to the arrest checkpoint, um, but they were met with a hostile crowd that was throwing rocks at them and shit. And so they weren't able to do anything. They returned to the embassy. um, And then we got word that uh, we were on standby to escort an FBI investigative team who was inbound. Uh, I think there's, there's always a few FBI dudes around any given embassy around the world, but they were bringing in some guys from a neighboring country or whatever. So the next morning we were going to go in and recover evidence. So we were like, what the fuck? It was a whole day of just briefings, debriefings, Intel reports. How could this have happened? Whatever. I mean, obviously there's been phone calls made back to fucking Washington. I mean, it's an attack on a diplomatic motorcade. Um, Initially, we were told um, our phones were taken, put in lockboxes. We weren't allowed access to any emails or anything. Eventually that night, uh, we were allowed to send out emails in case uh, it made the news or whatever that our families would know that, you know, we were still okay. But we weren't allowed to say anything other than we're okay." Tell you more later. So that was the status of that night. Just it really was a big what the fuck. Not knowing exactly who, what, why, where, when, other than we told you so. We told you this schedule was fucking. We now we now the anger was setting in. We're going through all the stages of grief, and the, we were fucking angry. I get so mad. I want to cry right now. Um, it's just unnecessary, you know. With this, we blamed the schedule. We blamed weak leadership. We were fucking pissed. And I could tell State Department was nervous, like you know. What are these dudes gonna do? <laughs> they gonna start shooting up the consulate? <laughs> Trust me, we were thinking some shit. Maybe we never voiced it out loud, but we were all thinking the same thing. So it was very tense. The next morning, we come in and we have a big brief with these fucking FBI guys. And so, part of the radio traffic um, that was discovered, the the cat car, the counter assault team, uh, was a State Department car. So usually, Dine Corps backs up Dine Corps. So we have. We have ways of doing these motorcades. So just to explain to everybody, most motorcades are three car motorcades and you put the important person in the middle. Makes sense, right? You, have, you protect them from the front and the back and the follow car can pull up left or right. So let's say there's a, a parked car on the side of the road on the right. As you're driving, the follow car would come up to the right side of the limo. That way, if it blew up, you guys in the follow car take the hit and the package, the VIP, whoever you're protecting in the middle is safe. And then the the lead car and the limo, get the fuck out of there. That's usually what we nicknamed the, the important car was the limo. Well, we were pretty limited as to what we could do. And we had been in Gaza so much. So we had some left and right lateral limits that we could maneuver in. So we had ghost motorcades. We'd run motorcades for no reasons. Um, we had an advanced team that would go check out the area. We eventually added, um, after this incident, like a route recon team that could kind of get an overwatch and keep an eye on things. So what we did that day to our success as a security detail is we actually put the package in the front car and guess what? The follow car was the second car. And the third car was the cat car. So we had some extra muscle by putting the package, the VIP in the front car Mm -hmm. They hit the middle car with the bomb blast, thinking whoever is important, that's going to be in the middle car. Uh, Fortunately, that was the Tel Aviv team acting as a follow car. And the State Department had the counter assault car, the CAT team in the third car. Radio traffic. uh, You can hear the agent in charge. He's a great dude saying, hey, someone's crawling away from the wreckage. CAT team deploy and recover. And the CAT team, the State Department CAT team said negative it's too hot we're backing out no so they left oscar to fucking die on a dirt road in gaza so the the number 1 car takes off cuz that's got your vip so they're on fucking X-FIL. Now these
0: these guys have nothing to do with your your team and your brothers these these aren't former cag or no so these are all or- state
1: department nerds and and i forgot the uh, The term for them, I think they're called like MSD or some shit. It's like they're they're tactical dudes, but they're dorks. They're not. They nothing like we are. And they know it. They're just they're fucking college dorks that are wearing way too much 511 gear and they look fucking stupid. They look like a 511 catalog. (laughs) So. When we hear that radio traffic, all of it's recorded, of course, we get fucking mad, dude. State mm. Department, you, you, the AIC was a great dude. I love this guy. We still keep in touch with them via emails. Calling this out, he sees someone crawling away from the wreckage, recovering. They refused to fucking deploy. They backed out of the like little bitches. So when we were briefing with the FBI to go in the next day to recover shit. So it turns out Oscar gets rescued by the Palestinian police. They load him up really? in a cop car wow. and they get him to the arrest checkpoint and then the Israelis fly him to a hospital. So we have a, a legit lone survivor and uh, we post armed guards with him at the hospital and uh, and take care of Oscar. He ends up surviving. Um, so now we have a big beef with State Department. Mm. So now Dyncorp has another policy. Never again. Dyncorp takes care of Dyncorp. Fuck you guys. You guys want to run a motorcade? You guys want your MSD as a cat team? We ain't having it. Our detail leader, dude named Max, is a big werewolf looking motherfucker. So when Max says something in a briefing room, no one's going to question it. He looks like he will fucking eat you and your family. <laughs> so that was it. We go in with the FBI the next day, and it was it was very emotional. Um, I remember they gave us all, uh, our leadership gave us C-Max, the Twin 50 drums. And I remember I... I just fucking loaded up C mags. We had a couple C mags. We were going in heavy because we were like, this just fucking happened. We don't know what the climate's going to be like. If there's still an angry mob, it scared away the the Tel Aviv team the day prior. So it was, it was ballsy. In fact, uh, in that briefing, Max stood up and said, I need five guys. I'm not going to make this mandatory. I need five guys. And I'm very proud. My hand was the first up. And Max said, they call me spank daddy. He goes, You're a roughneck, ain't you, Spank? I said, I don't know. Maybe I'm just some kind of special stupid, but I'm in. And then the other guys raise their hand and we got our little team to to kind of be counter assault for the FBI guys going in. So uh oh shit, did your video freeze?
0: No, I'm here, brother.
1: Oh, okay. Yep. All right. It's kind of frozen on my end, but that's all right. As long as you can hear me. Yeah. <laughs> so we roll in and it's super intense, uh, super emotional. Uh there's this little village uh, just inside the Palestinian checkpoint we called the guest house. So we went to the guest house and the Palestinian police had uh, gathered several pieces of evidence at the FBI. Guys were going through and bagging and tagging and we posted security. Oh, shit. Did I? I can't even see you. It's black now. Can you still see me? I can. You're good. All right. Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt the story. But anyway, it was super emotional. We're there with the FBI guys. The FBI guys actually ended up being pretty cool. You know, they kept coming over and giving us their condolences and and just they were really fucking cool. But we were super on edge, super emotional. Uh, most of us pretty pissed off with, with tears in our eyes. But we were as professional as we could be. And, uh, you know, we were able to recover the vehicle, uh, parts of the bomb. I mean, it was it was horrible. We saw pieces of clothing with blood. And there was a piece of flesh on the fucking hood of the car. Looked like maybe someone's finger. And it was just it was pretty fucking brutal. So that day gets done. We exfil out of Gaza with the FBI. um, And we go back to the consulate, do our debrief. And uh, the RSO comes in and we want to just rip his fucking head off. Basically. They told us that while this investigation's being conducted, that uh, we're just, we're shut down. We're not doing any security moves, nothing. So that was a very dark, dark time. That was probably three weeks where we didn't do shit. We'd meet at the bar every night. We were blowing 600 bucks each night, just getting fucked up and crying and hugging, uh, rotating security, watch the hospital for Oscar. Um. Some people left after that, like fuck this shit. Those of us that stayed became very tight, very close. Still in touch with those guys today. Um, Yeah, it just, it it was really, it was really a lot for me to wrap my brain around. I always told people, I feel like the guy who slept past his alarm clock and was pissed off. He missed his flight only to find out that the airplane crashed. Um, The Marines saved our life. That was our mission. And I had a, Big problem trying to wrap my brain around that. Had the Marines not wanted photographs of us that day, we would have crossed the arrest checkpoint at 9 a.m. that morning and driven down that road. Not saying they would have hit the same vehicle, but whatever. You know, it was just really spooky. It was really creepy. Like, fuck, dude. It it, it taught me a lot about life. And I I eventually had to make some peace with it in that when it's your time, it's your time. Don't try to make sense out of it you can't worry about, I should have been there. That should have been me kind of the survivor's guilt thing, which yeah, there's still some scar tissue from that today. You know, why am I 19 more years down the road, not big cheese or, or John or Mark, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. So it was tough for me to deal with, uh, another piece of that. Um, after we got hit that day on the day of the 15th, they allowed me and my team leader to leave the consulate because we had to, uh, cheese was living with the chicken in an apartment in tel aviv and i don't want to get too personal with the details but someone had to let her know right what had happened and so me and my team leader volunteered for that yeah. i just wanted out of the consulate so we hopped in his car drove up to tel aviv and uh when we knocked on the door she opened the door and she just knew uh she saw our faces and she just said john's not coming home is he and uh I just stood there. I didn't know what the fuck to fucking do. The team leader said, no, he's he he died. So she ran to the couch crying. He just turns to me and says, hey, I'll take care of her, but you need to sanitize this apartment. Anything that's John's is boxed up. And so I did the best I could with what was in the apartment to box it all up. Uh, I found a shirt that has a trident on it, and I just said, this one's for me. And I still have that shirt to this day. I keep it in my closet. And it was tough, dude, going through all his personal effects, you know, a lot of tears, packing up his shit. Um, it was at that point that we were ordered to write death notes and tape them onto the uh, inside of our little closet, our mm-hmm. personal closet in our apartments. Things we had never thought of, like, well, what do you want to do with your laptop? You know, do you want to send that back home? I mean, there's probably some weird shit on there. Like, we didn't know what to do with our personal effects. Do you want them just thrown out? It was an afterthought. So we were ordered to write the right. death note. And so that was another kind of mind fuck that night. Like I'm sitting there in my room writing this death note in case I, I fucking die. Never had to do that before. It was and, and weird. It was, so it,
0: you're, you're, you're married to Goose.
1: No, I'm on my second marriage at the time. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, hey, your picture's back. I am back. I got to see that beautiful face. <clears throat> um, so I was married to my second wife at the time. Uh, a Thai lady who's actually the mother of my daughter now that lives with me. And so uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot that part of the story that kind of adds to the mind fuck. Right. Um, so I have to write this death note and I don't know what to do. I'm still kind of grieving over the situation. So we write these notes and we tape them up on the inside of our little wall closets there in our, in our bedrooms. Um, my wife at the time, she was living in the states i moved her back to thailand because i was going to israel and she was almost too pregnant to fly my daughter was due to be born in a couple weeks and so as the dust settled and like i said we got put on lockdown for like three weeks no missions no training nothing just we have to figure out what the fuck happened a huge investigation's going down um so i tell my leadership like hey my wife in thailand's about to have a kid can i at least Since we're not doing shit, fly home. And they said, yeah, fuck yeah, man. Get out of here, dude. So I had to buy my own ticket, but we were getting paid well. No big deal. So I flew back to Thailand and I was hoping to. I didn't tell my wife other than, you know, I was okay. but, you know, her English and not really knowing what I was doing. I didn't get too far into it. I mainly told my mom. My mom would be more likely to see something on the news. Americans have been attacked in Israel, whatever. So I tried to keep the details from my wife because she was pregnant. I wanted sure. her to focus on things. The problem is we have a very small circle of friends in Thailand, um, mm-hmm. a lot of military dudes, and so she caught wind of it. And so when I flew in, um, I saw the birth of my daughter and uh, I remember the doctor saying, hey, it's going to be a C-section. It's going to be pretty bloody. Are you OK with blood? And I just laughed it off. I said, yeah, I'm a soldier, dude. He goes, oh, OK, I'm sure you'll be good. Um, but, you know, it was weird when I saw them cutting into her. I, I remembered that piece of flesh on the hood of the car. And, and the I church. just got kind of like, I'm sure I had the thousand yard stare. I was, I was uh, two places at once. <laughs> I just It was so surreal that I just mourned the death of three of my teammates. And now I'm witnessing the birth of my daughter, of it's my third child. So it was just ironic. how fast life moves. Yeah. And Jeez. the doctor took her out. Gave her to me and I'm holding this little bloody baby. And, uh, and I've told my daughter the story to, to a point, not as graphic as I'm sharing now, but it really, it brought me into the moment for a minute. Um, but that night I went out to TQ 2 our little local bar and it was weird because there's always some military guys in there and it was dead. It was quiet. It was just me. And, I was so depressed from Israel. I was just my mind was blown at the birth of my daughter that I just started doing shots and shots and shots. And I did. I've never been suicidal, but I had the thought that night that if I drink myself to death, good. Huh. I just didn't give a fuck. I was so confused. My world was upside down, dude. Right. First time I had three of my teammates killed. A Couple of weeks later, I'm holding my daughter in the fucking emergency room. I mean, it was just like my. I. I know it was. it's it's looking back on it, it's a horrible thing to say, but I wanted to drink myself to death. It was just never had experienced this shit before. It was a fucking mind blower. So before I'm due to return, you know, however long they gave me a week to be there or whatever. Um, my wife is like, you're not going back. You, you just had three of your people killed. Like she's like, no, I didn't sign up for this. You know, when we got together, you got out of the Navy, then she was with me when I was out at Fort Bragg and she was not a fan of me going back into the service at any level or any capacity. Sure. And so she drew a line in the sand. If you go back, we're done. And I told her, well, listen, this is what I do. Like, it's going to take time for me to figure something out. I can't just not go back. Like our bank account will get thin real fucking quick. There's no money coming in. Mm -hmm. I'm living in Thailand in between deployments here. Like, we got to figure out how to go back to the state. Like, I, yes, I'm going back. So I went back dealt with all the, the after uh, shock of this whole situation. It was good to get away from it. Um, it was at this point that uh, in fact, that night when I was trying to drink myself to death is when I met my current wife, um, we had kind of friends in common. Like I said, it's a kind of a small community. And uh, and so I remember she came in the bar that night. She was looking for her friends and her friends went over to be found and neither were mine. And in the middle of my drunken stupor, she comes up to me and, you know, we've known each other loosely or of each other. Friend of a friend type deal. And she comes up to me and she goes, what's wrong? And I remember very clearly she said, why are your eyes so cold? And uh, and so I kind of talked to her a little bit about that. And that's what really sparked our friendship at that time. So when I came off of my next rotation from Israel to kind of fast forward, I uh, ended up getting my second divorce. My my wife at the time was true to her word. and I didn't sign up for this shit. You're crazy to go back to a place like that where there's already been teammates killed. And that opened the door to my current marriage and current situation. And, uh, you know, Goose has been with me ever since. Immediately after those attacks, like right after my divorce, we just started hanging out. Nothing serious. She made me happy. She taught me to laugh again. She said, I'm going to put a fire back in your heart. And she did. She was a big part of my therapy and my recovery from all that. And then of course, at some point in time, I decided to come back to the States. So again, I don't want to make this too much about me, um, but it was a very, very dark time in my life. It was the, the first time I experienced loss like that. Then to piggyback that with the birth of my daughter. Um, While I was in Thailand, I spent as much time as I could with my daughter. And even though there was a divorce, you know, I did my best. But it was still it was a rough going, dude. Sure. You know, I mean, it really impacted me negatively. It really has impacted um, all of us that were involved. Um, I continued on with that mission for, you know, another over a year and a half, almost two years till 2005. And it was a very stark reminder of how quick. That part of the world can be fucking dangerous, and uh yeah, I mean, some of the best times and worst times. You know, we ended up going back into Gaza the first time. Back into Gaza for me was with Condoleezza Rice. She wanted to ask President Abbas why were our diplomats attacked. Yeah, she wanted answers because there was no answers coming out of Gaza.
0: I was just going to ask, what was there any after-action report that gave you any some? of that insight or that illusion to live with.
1: The only thing that the FBI found as evidence was ski masks near the ambush site. So they traced the debt cord back to like a ditch or behind some little wall where they were hiding. Um, They blamed it on Hamas, but there was a faction of us and part of the Intel community. Obviously we were in touch with, um, the Israelis pretended to kind of help us. But again, they they weren't at that time in the habit of sharing information with us. So the some Mossad? guys some guys thought that it was Mossad. Some guys thought it was the Israelis didn't like us poking around down in there and they wanted us out. So was it Hamas? Was it the Israelis? We still don't know to this day. Um, both have the ability to do it. Why were we targeted? Why wasn't it a tank? You know, why was it specifically our motorcade? You know, I mean, sure, it could have been set for a tank and we just happened to drive by. But my gut was we were targeted. Uh, we were the new hot chicken town. Who the fuck are these guys? And at that time, the Israelis weren't fond of us either. And so I hate to point fingers in any one direction. To be honest, I, I could see it go either way. I'm kind of 50 50 about it. Um, In theory, we were trying to provide negotiations Between the two, we were a little bit more on the Palestinian side of things because they were the underdog. Um, A lot of those guys said, hey, dude, if we had tanks and planes, we'd fight fair, but we don't. So we blow shit up. We ambush. Like, I get it. I mean, we did the same thing in the Revolutionary War. We don't have a big red coat army. So we would ambush and do sneaky shit, too. Right. One man's freedom fighters, another man's terrorists. It depends how you look at this shit for us we were at least sold the idea. We were trying to broker a peace deal. It was called like the road to to map roadmap to pieces. We could call it the roadmap to pieces nicknamed it. It's called the roadmap to peace, but it ended up being the roadmap to pieces. And so uh, Condi was brave, dude. We took her in twice, you know, so big ups for, for sugar mama, man, a lot of respect for that woman's fearless.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. It was sad. You know, those guys never got the recognition, that they no. did. Mark Parsons, John Lynn, and John Branchisio. I love you guys. I think about you uh, every day. Uh, you know, I hate to give favoritism to Big Cheese, but he's my boy. So, you know, you think, why Why me? Why not me? You know, why am I fucking still here? You know, just this dumb luck of a, a turn of events. And and uh, it's, it's still... Tough to wrap my brain around for sure. But as you mentioned earlier, doing it sober is a a lot better. I'd rather try to fight tears on a podcast than be obliterated and and FaceTime my wiener to you like I usually do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? But but doing this is actually the first time you've memorialized them probably proper Um, by being sober, by being, you know, 100% Hundred percent there mentally by sharing this story, um, I think is a way better way to honor them, and I'm I'm convinced that they're smiling down and thanking you for sharing it and and sharing it with the tribe because uh, again, their names will live down. And I got to be honest too, you know, I I tried to prepare for an episode like this, and there's no way to prepare. Obviously, it's your story and things like this, but I wanted just to get a little bit of insight. And like you said, man, you can't you can't find hardly anything on this. And yeah, that's that's sad. what upset at me. And it's like, holy shit, this is the Internet. You could find yeah. anything. Well, I and think it's an embarrassment to the State
1: Department. So it they is swept it under the rug. Yeah, You know, it was 100 percent poor leadership from their part. We did everything we could to the point where our leadership said, this is how it is. No hard feelings. If you buy plane tickets, we get it. This is stupid. But, you know, we were forced into a bad situation. Uh, there's no time frame on this negotiations we were trying to accomplish. It could. I mean, it's still ongoing. <clears> it's been ongoing for centuries. <clears throat> That's what I mean. Why? Why the? Why the Good crunch God. of the schedule? Why not listen to your troops? So, my message to anyone in a leadership position: listen to your guys, listen to yes. the troops, listen people to the, the guys ground. on the ground. This is yeah. a reoccurring story. It happens over and over. The guys that know their shit say, "Hey, sir, we shouldn't be doing this. We're gonna do it anyway," and you get people fucking killed. That's the moral of the story. If you're in a leadership position, especially when you have your troops lives in your hands, these young guns, it's up to you to have the balls to say, no, we're not fucking doing that.
0: Go to bat for your team.
1: Yeah. Go to bat. Don't just worry about what the ambassador is going to say or your captain's going to say, have the balls to say, no, that's fucking stupid. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. There's there's it's not that we're not going to do it, but we're going to do it this way. We're not going to go three days in a row. We shouldn't be in Gaza more than once or twice a week. That's fucking stupid.
0: Well, let me ask you a question about that, because you were saying on your move, obviously, there is the three slash four red alerts or red flags, uh, the tagging and, you know, the the others. So the incident that occurred in Tel Aviv, were they reporting to the same type of behavior, such as the tagging, uh, you know, the maybe the reconnaissance and other kind mm-hmm. of stuff? So, Absolutely yeah so both both parties, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you were in Gaza or if you were in Tel Aviv, uh, both were witnessing the same type of actions from the uh, yeah you know,
1: our our leadership so we had the two teams in Tel Aviv, three teams in Jerusalem and our detail leader was in charge of all five teams and so it was all funneled to one source and then that guy would talk to the RSO. So and even we had uh, the AIC, I won't say his name because I think he's still active out there. He was on our side. Well, he's in the fucking motorcade with this. He, sure. <laughs> he was definitely on our side. The the AIC, the agent in charge. And, uh, and he would go to bat for us. But the RSO has the final say and he just wasn't having it. I doubt any of that even got to the ambassador until this happens. And then the ambassador is like, how the fuck did this happen? And there were very... Um, we had meetings up at the embassy we had to attend, and we talked about. And the ambassador was very cool to us, but we were pissed, and we spoke frankly. We cussed. We were mad, and he understood. And uh, you know, it was kind of funny. I thought that we would have that contract forever. Like you know, we shed blood for State Department; they'll they'll take care of us. It Was the opposite. Right. Yeah. They got rid of us as quick before we knew it. Triple Canopy swooped in and, and took that contract from us. They got rid of us as fast as possible
0: sure because uh then the problem was you guys right it was you guys
1: yeah oh i'm <laughs> so sure just, just
0: get a new contractor in here because it was mm-hmm. it was your group right
1: <laughs> yeah well that's how it usually is sure you know, just you get rid of, the of these guys the bring in some other guys um what's funny is it's the same batch of guys i mean it's, <laughs> whether it's black water <laughs> at that time it was Blackwater, triple canopy and DynCorp. those are the three big dogs and there was a lot of stepping across And there were guys that stayed in Israel. But I decided that when Triple Canopy came in, I said, my belly's full of Israel. I'm good. I've been here two years. I want to go with DynCorp Afghanistan, plus company loyalty. Like, I've already been with this company. Mm -hmm. I have a name, a reputation. I don't want to be a new guy in a new organization. And uh, so that's how I ended up in uh, Afghanistan with DynCorp but uh it was a very weird experience yeah i mean they they couldn't wait to get rid of us my initial thought was oh dude they're gonna you know we've we're battle buddies now and the farthest thing from the truth and then i came to the realization why would i want to work with these guys they left us hanging literally their cat team left one of our guys in the street oh i'm glad i remember that so oscar fast forward to <clears throat> now i'm a dod contractor in iraq and uh one of the guys is like hey dude uh you know, a guy named Jinx? I'm like, no, he goes. He, he says he was in Gaza, got blown up in Gaza. It, it's kind of the same thing you talk about. I'm like, I don't know a Jinx. So anyway, I meet Oscar and I'm like, holy fuck, Oscar, what are you doing, dude? So we go into his trailer. We break out a six pack of Corona and we just start kind of going through his laptop and pictures and, you know, cheesing the boys and drinking in Tel Aviv and some Jerusalem stuff. And it was just so cool. So. I'm like, why do they call you jinx? He goes, dude, I've been blown up twice since I've been in Iraq. And I'm like, motherfucker, dude, what (laughs) what is wrong with you? You're the only guy to survive (laughs) the Gaza attack. He literally got blown out of the right rear portion of the vehicle. So however, the bomb went off under the driver. Um, The blast killed and somehow he got ejected the pressure and flew. However, I forgot the exact distance, but Superman through the air and then landed in the dirt is he Irish. And then I don't know, dude, He's then then he shows me the after action photos and reports of this car bomb. He's in an armored vehicle and this car just drives right up and Come blows up husband, next wow. to his car. Yeah. Two more times in Iraq. And I'm like, bro, on. you need to retire from this shit, bro. Three yeah. strikes and you're out. Go be a kindergarten teacher in Nebraska, dude. Get the fuck out of this business. What? But it was to kind of go full circle in Iraq. And he was like, dude, thank you guys took such good care of me. In Israel, like I said, we posted fucking armed guards by his Hell bed. Yeah. Like, not that we were worried about anything, but like, this is our dude. We're taking care of him.
0: That sounds a message.
1: Just absolutely. So it was it was good to see Jinx, <laughs> Oscar, A.K. Jinx, and uh, hopefully he's still out there. I've lost touch with them now, but um, uh, I'll yeah. tell you,
0: there's there's a lot of things in that story that that bothers me and I'm sure it bothers our listeners. I mean, there's a lot of things where common sense didn't apply there's uh there's leadership issues, but I think the thing that bothers me the most is, and again, it doesn't matter what branch of military is. You, you just don't leave a man behind. Wow. Uh, so for those frat boys with guns, um, it's just inexcusable. I just, I, I can't comprehend that. And, and I can't comprehend that there's a group that goes through training That'd be OK with that. I mean, you know, disobey yeah. that order. Get out of the vehicle. Set your perimeter. Get the guy and go. Right.
1: Well, but the, <laughs> the moral of that story is feds are pussies, man. <sighs> they're just these little college boys that go through some little academy. Um, I saw that as a street cop, too. I mean, we just you know, you're in the trenches in the hood and these feds roll in and are dorks. Same thing with us. You know, we're out there every fucking day and these MSD dudes or whoever the fuck they think they are, they're just they're pussies, man. You know, mm-hmm. just they're putting on costumes. They're LARPers. You know, here you have these DynCorp guys, half of which are retired Delta guys.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: right. and then the rest of us had, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14 years in the military with multiple deployments. Fuck your little wherever you go to your little school at. dude. You need to listen to the people with actual experience and not let the the problem is the longer someone's in a position, the more that position becomes about them. So this RSO mm. was an egotistical prick. And a lot of leadership is like that, especially when you're intimidated by a motley crew of fucking operators. Your, your ego has to inflate to try to balance that out. These little nerds get intimidated when there's a room full of meat eaters. Yeah. So they have to try to exert their authority instead of being humble and saying, guys, I'm in a room full of talent. I look forward to learning from you. I'll do everything I can to support. That's what a leader does. Right. You know, inspires his troops, is humble and is not afraid to admit, hey, I don't know everything. I'm going to lie heavily on you guys. You guys have a room full of operational knowledge. You know, I've only been in the State Department, whatever. However, RSO has probably been around a while, but, you know, listen to your troops, man. Check your ego, dude. And And I think that would help him if he had listened to our leadership, they would have said, all right, you know, let's rethink this schedule. You know, we have been getting hit. We have been, we call them SAF attack, small arms fire. We have been getting lit up, which we're lucky because we have armored vehicles. It's not that scary to get shot at when you're in an armored vehicle. You're worried about the shit that goes boom, not bang. So there's things we could have done to mitigate that risk. I would have just let it breathe for a couple of weeks. Let the IDF go in there and crush those fuckers.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's they're in there operating heavy they're doing yeah
1: pull out let it breathe it's not your war then go back in fuck a month later who gives a fuck let the israelis monkey stomp some people and then go back in would have been easy but no so it's tough man but you know i i appreciate the the opportunity to share that i don't think i've ever shared the details of that day and so i appreciate uh, you as a brother to listen and then our our listeners out there um it's a little bit of doom and gloom, but it's. I appreciate you guys uh, helping me with my healing process. It's been a big one for a long time, and I'm, I'm sure it goes to the grave with you, you know?
0: Well, you know, I'm always here, and you know, the tribe I know is here. We're here for each other. I, I think it's actually really um, compelling because, again, we know that a lot of veterans or first responders listen to us, so they go through their own battles and with demons uh, of losing brothers or sisters and whatever. Uh, craft you're in. So hearing your story again, I think that there's that sometimes there's that strength in numbers, right? Where there's misery, where it's like you know you could relate because you know not many people could talk about uh, losing people in, in in war or battle or you know or you could be a cop on the street and you know lose a buddy. So uh, there is that unfortunate common bond that fraternity. It's a shitty fraternity, but. I'm, I'm hoping that people, you know, could take a little bit of comfort and say, you know, Clark shared he's doing better these days and, you know, cheers on him.
1: Yeah, thank you. And, yeah, you're not alone if you're out there struggling with loss and, and things like that. It could even be just loss of a family member. We all deal with loss at different levels and just realize you're not alone. Nope. Um, you know, there are healthier ways to deal with these things and there's not so healthy ways. My advice would be uh, face your demons head on. And uh, the straighter you are, the more you'll be able to process it and get a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, You know, save the fun stuff for fun times would be my advice. You know, don't don't Mm. booze it up drowning sorrows because it only delays them and makes them worse. Here I am 19 years later, you know, for the first time facing it in sobriety. I should have done it, you know, years ago, but I ran from it. So my advice to you guys out there, if you're facing tough situations, hit it head on and save the good times for down the road when it's uh when it's appropriate don't don't make that your go to for sure
0: well said man well on that note uh you know vibe tribe as always we we wish you a great week um clarky thank you for sharing brother i i'm sure it uh, i'm hoping it helped heal some of those wounds even those uh you know what's the famous uh poison song you know uh it, the 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 wound may heal but the scar remains right yeah, and that's the truth it's true so, it is it's yeah. true
1: but yeah I appreciate that thank you and thank you guys for listening man I, I love the tribe I love you guys out there thank you man
0: brother love you you have a good week alright tribe later guys bye